The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. I agree with, with what Chris Kleiman said earlier today at his press conference. And that is, I wasn't exactly the biggest fan either of um, of Deuce Vaughn doing backflips at the NFL Combine. The way he landed was super awkward. I'm like, dude, you're going to blow a knee out. And what a career you had at K-State of three years of, of not getting injured. When I saw him land, I was like, oh, God. That was a bit stiff for a landing. That was that was some stiff leg landing from Deuce Vaughn. But it's Deuce Vaughn. The guy doesn't really get hurt, does he? He gets banged up, but he doesn't get hurt. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner alongside Troy Coverdale, and it's just us today. It's just us today, and we're on for uh, the next two hours. And i got to be honest with you, it feels like it's been a while since we've been on schedule, like with a Tuesday show or you know, just me being here in general. Doing a show, it feels like it's been a very long time that we've been on schedule. We'll have a full two hours tomorrow. Actually, probably just be myself tomorrow with Travion because Troy's going down to Wichita to call some Manhattan High Hoops at the 6A State Tournament. You you might be able to get me to hang around a little extra down in Wichita tomorrow. I might be able to stay on the line for a little bit. Eh, it depends. If you want the crowd noise behind everything. Eh, and D.Y. will be on. Yeah, that's probably not going to work. I'm hoping you stay down there for a few days, though. It would be nice. Just stay down there. Well, it would be be nice. I will be back in town for Thursday morning, and then if they are playing on Friday, I'll hustle back down for that. Fair enough. We have a busy day on the show. We're going to be joined by Mason Voth here in just a moment. He's going to kick off today's show. We're going to also hear from Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, who spoke to the media yesterday about... Well, competing for a Big 12 championship in Kansas City, trying to win the tournament. Coach Tang being named Coach of the Year. In the second hour, we'll speak more about Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, and K-State Hoops. Plus, we'll be joined by CBS Sports senior writer Jerry Palm. We'll be talking bracketology, not just about the Cats, about the Big 12, a few things nationally. Get his thoughts on the way things are shaping up for March Madness. That'll begin here in, uh, boy, a week from... Uh, Thursday? Week from Thursday, is that right? So we're nine days away? From the Madness well, officially, yeah, if you don't want to count the first four. If you count the first four a week from today. Correct. A week from today, the Madness will officially begin, but I, I truly think the Madness begins with what can potentially take place in Kansas City uh, this weekend starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We're now joined by Mason Voth from EMA Online. Weird. Hey, Mason, have we had you on since you learned about some big news, or at least you made it public? Uh, no, you, you have not, and that was by design because, again, I uh, did not want you revealing big news before I got the chance to do so. That's right. When he and Bud got engaged, I had taken a photo that they had posted and put it all over Twitter before he could break the news on the show. Is that what you're referencing? Well, it wasn't just before I, I could break the news on the show. It was like before we could tell all of our family members that needed to know immediately. But, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was referring to. So, 
kept it on the DL for as long as possible. Uh, and then, you know, it, it became okay, to, I guess, to announce it to people. But then that got delayed because we were going to find out a couple days later what the gender of the kid was. Uh, so that's how we now know that we were having a daughter uh, sometime late summer. That's right. Bud's pregnant and Mason's going to be a father. Congratulations, Mason. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm very excited about this opportunity. What was the gender reveal? Like, how, did you guys do anything for it? So, so, I mean, technically, we're not supposed to go in, you know, like when they, they throw the picture up there of the kid, it's like, okay, there's, you know, there's the anatomy. We can tell you what it is. We aren't going to have that appointment until the end of this month. So how we got it was, you know, they can do the genetic blood testing now. And that's to tell you, like, okay, this, this, and this is okay, or there may be a problem here. But it also, in, in turn, will tell you what the gender of the child is. Uh, so we just found out by getting an email at 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday night. And uh, I was actually in the bathroom, uh, and Bailey ran, and Bud ran to the door and was like, hey, I just got the email. I was like, well, you can tell me what it says. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you while you're in the bathroom. So <laughs> she waited until I got out. Uh, and then we just right there on the couch, we're scrolling and looking, and then it had this little line that says, uh, it said something like consistent with female, and that's how we uh, we learned that we were having a girl. Let's be honest here. What was your reaction to finding out you're not having a boy, you're having a girl? Because I'm sure you wanted a boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, have you guys seen the video of Gordon Hayward? Uh, you know, he, he already had a couple of daughters. And they're doing like a, a gender reveal with balloons and a box with his daughters and his wife. And his wife is clearly recording it. And they open it up, pink balloons fly out. And the girls are going crazy because they're having another sister. And Gordon Hayward doesn't really react. And his wife just goes, it's a girl. And she follows it up by going, is daddy happy? And Gordon Hayward in the most depressed sounding voice, like daddy's always happy. And he very sadly kicks one of the lightweighted balloons in the air. That was my initial feeling, because I will be honest about this. I think every single guy out there wants to have a son. Like, I'm okay with having a daughter. I'm going to love her equally. She's, it's going to be exciting. I'm very much pumped up for this. But in the immediate moment, I was sweating out, hoping that it would be a son, because I'm a guy. I know how to relate to guys a lot better. There are a lot more guy activities that I feel like I'm going to be equipped to handle. Um, so there was like a, a brief moment of, man, I really wish I was having a son. Uh, but ultimately the best part of the news was, you know, at the time, hopefully it's still the case now, like the baby is healthy, uh, chilling it inside of bud and I'm going to get to be a dad, which is the most important thing to me. So I, I have some perspective on it, but yes, I was moderately disappointed that I was not having a son. Okay. So a couple of things, one do all men want a boy? I I think I lean towards that being correct because, you know, we're kings of the castle, right? You want to pass on the last name, pass on the legacy, especially sports fans. Guys that are sports fans typically yeah. want to have a boy. But I, I got to ask this, though. Like, isn't there, like, an unwritten rule that, okay, guys, like, you're not allowed to be mad about having another girl until baby number two is on the way? Can you be mad about it with just the first one? Well, I think 
I think my concern is is that this is setting a precedent and then that I'm, I'm going to be that guy that only ends up with girls. <laughs> and this is not an offense to the, the dads out there that only have girls, but, like, let's be honest, between you and me, you're probably like, I wish we could have chipped the sun in here. And typically, like, I feel like that's how people get to having four-plus kid families is they're like, okay, we're going to try for this one one more time. Oh, we're going to try one, one other time. And then next thing you know, you got like six kids and they're all the same, you know, they're the same gender. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe I, uh, I handling this so well, I'm, I'm only 24 years old. I'll be 25 when this thing comes along. So there's still a lot of time and maybe a lot more children out there for me to have to, to get, to get the sun in. Um, but I, you know, in, in the moment, like I said, I'm going to be honest about this and transparent son. My family knew this. Everybody knew this. But I am going to love her. I didn't want a tiny dog when we got Mitzi. I got a tiny dog, and I love her, and I want to trade her for the world. So I'm sure that's how I feel, uh, and I already do feel about uh, about the the whatever we're going to call uh, the daughter we're having. Don't let it become Philip Rivers wanting to come back to the NFL because you're tired of how many kids you had. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to stop a few short of Philip Rivers, I would imagine. Uh, if we get to that number, something has gone horribly wrong with, like, the gene pool to where we're just firing off daughters left and right. So, yeah, I, I hope we don't get to, to the Rivers quota. Well, you had all you had brothers, right? You don't, you don't have a sister. Well, that was the weird thing. Yeah, I only had two brothers growing up. So, like, my my mom was convinced we were just having another boy because – I think she thought she was going to get, like, punished again. She's always wanted a daughter. didn't happen. So then she probably had already written off that she wasn't ever going to have a granddaughter. So my <laughs> mom was probably the most excited to find out that it was a girl. That's my mom every Christmas. She's like, are you going to ask Lindsay to marry you and start having babies? I don't know. That's not the plan. Uh, well, hey, I mean, that's a good question. Maybe next week. Maybe that's the time to do it, Mitch. I'm not a marriage guy, and I'm not really a kid's guy, Mason. That's why we have your type around. You take care of the baby stuff. I'll just do the talk shows. Okay, that sounds good. Let's uh, let's, let's jump to the cats. I wanted to get your reaction, as this is really my first time on air getting a chance to talk about the All-Big 12 team being released with Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel being first-teamers. Keontae, or not Keontae, but Marquise, you know, obviously I've said it many times, like he would be my vote for player of the year. I went to Jalen Wilson. Believe me, I totally understand the argument. With that being said, still a little hot about it. Still a little upset. Um, But also, you know, like Marquise didn't win improved player of the year. So I wanted to get just your general reaction of K-State, yes, having a lot to be proud of, but maybe also probably still feeling a little bit disrespected in a few areas. Yeah, I mean – First off, I, like if I was voting on it, um, initially I thought, yeah, you know, like there's a case for Marquise Noel and he shouldn't be written off like I think some people were trying to do. Um, but then, like, the more I dug into it, I was like, it makes more sense that Marquise Noel probably should have been player of the year. I mean, I, I know that it's, it's an all-season award, whatever, but if you're giving out an award for conference players, you should probably wait the 18 games of conference play that you have uh, a little bit higher. And Noel was better in those than Jalen Wilson. Um, if you go and look, I think KU in the games that Jalen Wilson was their leading scorer, um, they were below 500 in those games. 
It was the total opposite for Marquise Noel. State was above 500 in game where he was their leading scorer. He led the conference in conference-only points per game, and he was more efficient than Jalen Wilson, which is the thing that people will point to is, oh, well, you know, Marquise Noel turns the ball over more than Jalen Wilson. Well, he, he handles the ball a lot more. He also dished out a ton of assists, and Noel hauled in more rebounds than what assists Wilson gave out. So if you want to kind of try and equate numbers, like Noel matches up a lot better than what people thought. So I get why Jalen Wilson won it. That isn't really the battle that people should be fighting um, too hard because it, it does make sense. But I'm with you. Like, there are a couple things that I do feel odd about, which is how Adam Flagler is unanimous first-team Big 12, but Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel weren't. That seemed a little bit strange to me. Um, I mean, Flagler's great, deserving of being on the first team, but the coach that left Noel and Johnson off your ballot, you're probably one of the dopes that's going to be out of a job in a couple of years. I'm, I'm talking to you, Mike Blink, who still hasn't figured out how to defend Marquise Noel after getting torched in two games this year. Uh, and then the most improved player one, I hadn't thought about that until Monday. Alec and I were doing our podcast, and uh, he was the one that brought it up to me. He's like, you know, should, should Marquise Noel have won most improved player this season? And I really paid much attention to it because, like, most improved player, you're on the first team, whatever. Like, who really cares? But if you, you dig into it, like, yeah, Marquise Noel probably was the most improved player in the league. Like, he goes from a guy that was a role player, didn't start every game last year, to starting every game and having to be the go-to guy for a team that was picked to finish dead last and led them to a top-three finish in the league and is a top-15 team for the entirety of the second half of the season. And all these things add to Marquise Noel was better. Like, he shot the ball better this year. He upped his assist total. So many things were better about his game, and he went to a brand-new level that I'm not sure many people thought he could actually get to going into this year. But, yeah, he probably should have won it over KJ out. Let me ask you in this form, what is, what's more impressive to you, a player that goes from riding the bench to becoming all Big 12 honorable mention or a player that goes from starting 21 games and being named Big 12 honorable mention to Big 12 first team? Well, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's the latter because what the, the thing to me about like Noel is, is in a lot of areas went up this year and the numbers improved like that that typically isn't what happens like take uh like a shooter for example as a freshman they log like 10 minutes a game and you look at their numbers like oh he shot 44 percent from three as a freshman but then his sophomore year he's playing more and he only shoots like 33 percent you're like what happened well his volume went up marquise noel's volume and everything went up this year he still improved shooting-wise. He went from 30% from three to 35% from three. Like, he made giant leaps in his game this season, and even when teams started to figure him out, he had a few rough games. Every great player in this league had those this year, but he figured it out, and he still found ways to contribute even in the games where he didn't score, where, you know, the game against Kansas that they won in overtime, he he dished out a ton of assists uh, even though he didn't score a bunch. Like, there are a lot of instances where Marquise Noel made an impact in every single game that K-State played, um, you can't say that for, for some of the other guys in the league that were candidates for these honors that Marquise Noel didn't get that he probably should have. Speaking with Mason Voth from EMA Online, looking forward to um, you know the trip to Kansas City. Actually, I haven't been to the Big 12 tournament in a few years. 
Um, but, um, you know, ready to watch the Cats take on TCU Thursday and hopefully make a run and then go to the NCAA tournament, make another run there. I would, I would, I want to know if you have any concern about K-State winning because of going four of seven on the road, maybe not winning as much on the road lately and not playing any longer in Manhattan. And, you know, it depends on where they go for the NCAA tournament, but also, you know, what the crowd will be like in, in Kansas City, and if they can if they can play without maybe having the most pro K State crowd. Yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about it, um, just because like I, I think later in the season there are odd circumstances that play into it, and with these road games, like outside of the Oklahoma game, that's the only one at the end of the year that I, I think should leave a really bad taste in people's mouths because that was a dead place that was like 25 percent full. There's zero reason Oklahoma should have won that game. Like, that was solely on K-State why they lost that game. But outside of that, like, you can you can find reasons for why things played out ultimately the way that they did. Um, and in the NCAA tournament, you're not going into a building that's going to be 100% against you. You're going to have, you know, some fans there. You're also going to have people that don't really care about the outcome. And then ultimately some people that are against you. So I'm not too worried about how the, the road splits kind of played out for K-State uh, as this season went along. I mean, there are other teams in the conference that struggled on the road this season. I mean, K-State was 4-7 and seven on the road. Um, they, they lost the, the road game to Butler in addition to what they did in conference play. But Texas was 4-6 and six in road games this year. Uh, Iowa State was 3-8. and eight. TCU was 4-7. and seven. The only team in the league that had a winning road record this season was Kansas. And I think if you went around the country and you looked at a lot of other teams, you'd be hard-pressed to probably find um, too many that had actual winning records uh, in road play. And certainly in the Big 12 it wasn't going to happen because this is one of the toughest leagues um, that we've ever seen. So I'm not too concerned about how the uh, the road situation worked out for K-State. I don't think it matters in the NCAA tournament. All right, Mason, real, uh, real quick, one more question to wrap up here. I want to go back to the All-Big 12 team. Coach of the Year, Coach Tang wins it, obviously absolutely deserves it. If you were voting and you couldn't vote for Coach Tang, who would you vote for? I, I would have given it to Bill Self. Uh, not because of the whole, you know, baloney stat that gets around. He lost 75% of his scoring from a national championship team. Well, boo-hoo, that is the most first-world problem of first-world problems to have a national championship team and only bring back a quarter of that scoring when you're at Kansas, who brings in top 10 recruiting classes every single year, whatever. Like, that's not why. But the fact that in this league that was as competitive as it's ever been, Kansas didn't look like, you know, this overly dominant team. They were still able to finish the Big 12 season. Um, I know ultimately Texas is a game out because of that last game, but with nothing on the line, like it didn't matter for KU. They they comfortably won the league title in the final week of the regular season. They didn't have to sweat it out. They didn't have to share it with anybody. Um, they were the best team in the Big 12, and nobody else did like an overly phenomenal job. Some teams kind of fizzled out, some underwhelmed, like Baylor this year. Um, so it definitely should have been Bill Self if it wasn't Jerome Tang. Uh, I'm on record. I, I hate Kansas, but I do enjoy Bill Self. Like I, you know, he's entertaining, and even though he may be does some nefarious things uh, in how he gets his players. He is actually, I, I mean, he's a great coach, but I think he's actually kind of a good guy, or at least I've always enjoyed listening to him. Um, 
So I would have been good with that. The, the other argument that I hate in the Big 12 Coach of the Year race is, like, why would Rodney Terry get it? Like, because Chris Beard, you know, did something horrible and got fired for it, that Rodney Terry inherited a team that I think is the deepest in the Big 12 and has a ton of talent. We should have just given it to him for just kind of coasting along this year. Like, that seems really silly to me that we have to give credit to Rodney Terry for handling adversity that was put in place in something that was totally unavoidable by the guy that hired him. So I'm glad Rodney Terry didn't win it. I, I don't know how much coaching he's actually doing there um, because we'll know how much he's doing if he doesn't end up actually getting the head coaching job. So uh, it would have been Jerome thing number one for me, Bill Self number two behind him. And I'm not really sure anybody else should have come close. Good stuff, Mason. Really appreciate your time. We'll see you in Kansas City, and congratulations on the sex. Thank you. Go Cavs. It's Mason Voth from Email Online. Excuse me, still coming up in hour number two. We're going to hear from Jerry Palm, senior writer from CBS Sports. We'll go over some bracketology. I know probably Coach Tang wouldn't exactly, you know, be okay, you know, with that kind of guess because, you know, he said it earlier, right? Bracketology, those guys have nothing to do with the actual selection process, but. Jerry Palms has been doing it a long time. I'd like to get his opinion on where the Cats currently stand. Is that 2-3 line? Is it thin right now? We'll get his opinion in hour number two plus more in the Big 12. When we come back, let's hear from K-State football coach Chris Kleiman, fresh off a Big 12 championship win. We'll get his thoughts on the Cats entering the spring portion of its practice next on the game. Is this ZZ Top? Oh, it sounds weird. I know it's legs, but it kind of sounds weird. It's like somebody ripped a instrumental version off YouTube, but it wasn't like an actual real instrumental version. It's like a cover. It's it's definitely it's definitely a cover. That's not ZZ Top. Is this your bed? It is one of the collection. Yes. Hmm. I saw uh, I saw ZZ Top in concert two summers ago. That was an awesome show, and it was right after Dusty Hill passed away. Mm. Right after. I mean, it was less than a week. And they still continued the tour, and they had his hat on his mic stand. But their roadie of over 30 years filled in for him for the rest of the tour. Did a fantastic job, and ZZ Top, I think, still sounds great to this day. Speaking of music, I saw Doobie Brothers were going on tour for a 50th anniversary. I think they've already been on that tour, but they've extended it, and it's like coming to Kansas City. I want to go see that show. Doobie Brothers have some bangers that I think people don't realize is the Doobie Brothers. Once they got around the Michael McDonald era. Well, I think when they got to the Michael McDonald era, like, you know, the sound did change a little bit. Oh, just a little, yeah. Just a little bit. You know, when <laughs> Van Halen turned into Van Hagar. Yeah, yeah, the sound yeah, good point. changed a little bit. But I, mean, I still love both eras. And with the Doobie Brothers, I still love both eras. You know, Blackwater sounds a little bit different than, you know, uh, what's that, Mike? Oh, now I'm blanking on the title of the song. Um, what what's it called? Help me out here. <sighs> You're no help. Sorry, it's kind of tough to when you know there's multiple you songs. Wise <laughs> man has the power. That song. Got it. Okay. I don't know why I'm blanking on the title of the song. Anyway, doesn't matter. You get what I'm saying. Welcome to my brain at 4.35 in the afternoon. Uh, let's hear from K-State head football coach Chris Kleiman. I always like Michael McDonald as well in that uh, Christopher Cross song, Ride Like the Wind. 
Mm-hmm. He only has like a couple of lyrics in it, but he's also playing keyboards, which he plays keyboards for uh, Doobie Brothers. Mm-hmm. But I also looked up a Doobie Brothers concert from earlier this year, and my Michael McDonald still sounds really good. I'm like, uh, that's pretty impressive. A guy in his 70s that's been singing that style a long time. Still has it. Interesting. Anyway, all right, here's Chris Kleiman. So what I've decided to do, this was his first um, It was his first press conference of the spring, of course. Spring practice started today. And um, there were a lot of, like, I thought there were some really good highlights. I was like, you know, first practice, having a press conference now, is like, could there be a lot to say? There was, well, I thought there was quite a bit to say. I, I'm going to break it up in a couple of days. We'll have more coming up tomorrow as well. But just to kick things off with Chris Kleiman, uh, was asked the question about still looking for anybody in the portal. He says, not right now. We're pretty maxed out right now, but you just never know what's going to happen at the end of spring ball. There's one more window. We're, we're hoping we don't lose anybody, um, but um, that's the, uh, the thing about college athletics right now. You're always um, aware of it, and, and so there's a potential. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that, that pretty much explains itself. Maybe looking after the spring in case somebody does decide to transfer. You know, Jackson Neen just transferred a fullback for K-State. Didn't really play a whole lot last year. We saw the uh, production of Ben Sinnott really improve. Uh, Chris Kleiman, you know, explained that just basically because, you know, the way they were going offensively just kind of needed a different body type with uh, that fullback slash tight end position and, uh, they had to just go a different route. Meanwhile, we're health update: Kobe Savage, a defensive back; Taylor Portier on the offensive line. We lost Portier what first game of the season, right? Kobe Savage a little bit towards the end, but that was you know you're talking about a leader in Kobe Savage on that back end, a very vocal leader. First year into the program. Leader right away. Got an update on those two. Taylor's been cleared for individual, but for non-contact. So uh, it's just getting TP up to speed. Uh, he's further along than he was last year. As far as Kobe, he's straight line running right now and is able to get up to full speed. He won't do any contact. I think by the end of end of spring, he'll be in a lot more change of direction, agility drills. I'm excited because Kobe will be full go once we get back from you know our May break. Yeah, so they're both coming along. Kobe Savage will be back before we know it, and he's going to be your starter at, at strong safety. I mean, he he is going to be the veteran, the leader back there once again. And to me, the way Casey was able to play fast out of the back like that, especially with plays to the flats, Kobe Savage was one of the best last year at doing that. Probably was the best. And also, by the way, early on he was a ball hawk. He was getting turnovers. That is some major production coming back for K-State next year. Meanwhile, on Taylor Portier, hurt in the first game of the year, he'll be the starting right guard this year, most likely. But he, along with the other guys on that you know, O-line, what they also bring back is leadership. So here's Coach Klein that spoke on that, plus the defensive leadership. Having all those offensive linemen back really helps Will Howard and it helps all of us. To be able to get those guys back from a leadership standpoint has been is going to be really helpful for the amount of young offensive linemen that we have returning. Daniel Green and Austin Moore. I think you, you partner those two up from a leadership standpoint. We're really lucky to have two inside linebackers that have played as much football as those two guys have. So on the offensive line part of that, we already knew how lucky we were. We were the you know the, all all the guys were being vocal on social media about announcing that they are coming back. The word first got out is about uh, I believe it was Cooper BB. That was the first word that got out that hey he's coming back and you know potentially so is the rest of the offensive line. 
and these are some old dudes now. We're talking about seniors across the board, fifth-year to six-year seniors across the board with plenty of experience. KT Levison, Cooper Beebe, Hayden Gillum will be most likely your center. Taylor Portier back in the offensive lineup. And then Christian Duffy. But you also have um, some developed that ha- or the, uh, the the depth that has developed. Andrew Linegang or Lane Gang, uh, Hadley Panzer, Carver Willis. I mean, you're going to be at least eight deep. KC will be on the offensive line next year, an offensive line that won a Big 12 championship. Um, and then with the linebackers, it didn't actually hit me until Coach Kleiman brought that up that, yeah, we are lucky about what's coming back. Those are two areas. Those are two very key areas when it comes to returners. And Daniel Green is is huge for K-State coming back. And Coach mentioned it, um, that uh, when they made the trip to New Orleans, they didn't think Daniel Green was going to come back. After the, after the Sugar Bowl, I was standing right next to him when Arnie Green asked him, you have a year of eligibility left. Do you want to use that eligibility and come back, or are you going to move on? And, and Daniel Green said he was moving on, that he thinks his time as a Wildcat has come to an end, and he's going to look forward to next year and uh, look at the pro ranks. I don't know what you know made him decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to come back for another year. But as K-State fans, we should be very grateful and feel very lucky that Daniel Green is coming to that back to play Mike Linebacker. That is the quarterback of the defense. And that is a veteran that plays his ass off every play. And it's awesome to have that leader back. And then you have Austin Moore, who I thought exploded last year. Played excellent football. Really impressed me was Austin Moore. And he's coming back next year. Now it's just, you know, what did they do a strong sign? Linebacker? Will it be Desmond Purnell? Will it be Gavin Forche? Will it be Alex Van Wy? Um, it's probably a name I'm forgetting, but there's a competition there. All right, what do we have next year? Let me. Uh... Oh, running back. This was one of the early topics today at the press conference because Treshawn Ward is the new running back in town. Deuce Vaughn, gone after three years. He leaves early at the combine doing backflips. He's going to be playing in the NFL very soon. Treshawn Ward is actually not full go right now. He's one of the guys that's out. So uh, only thing he can do is individual right now. We're hopeful that he'll be able to do some more things probably after spring break or later on in, in March. Um, but uh, he's just doing individual right now. But, of course, that you know obviously means he'll be good to go for the fall. Coach continued to talk about what he does like about the game from Treshawn Ward, the transfer from Florida State. Florida State played a number of running backs, but uh, when he was healthy, he was the the main guy. I know he had a terrific game uh, against uh, Oklahoma in a bowl game, and uh, just acceleration, the ability to run through arm tackles, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I thought he was an every down back. That um, gives us uh, more and more options and depth that we have with uh, uh, DJ and some of the other younger guys we talked about. When Treshawn Ward announced that he is going to be coming to K-State as a transfer, I was very happy about that. I think Treshawn Ward is very talented. His season, he didn't have a full season last year. He missed a month due to an injury. Now, nobody replaces Deuce Vaughn, right? What Treshawn Ward really doesn't have in his arsenal is being a receiving back. That obviously Deuce Vaughn provided 
and was huge. Even though actually Deuce was really more just a running back last year. Wasn't as much in the passing game. He was, just not as much in the previous year. Treshawn Ward hasn't really been a receiving back in his career. Will they try to develop him into that? We'll see. But DJ Giddens does bring that to the table. So now you're going to have that one-two punch with DJ Giddens, who is still up and coming and is just only going to get better. Treshawn Ward has the experience. But as a running back, I love his style. I just love him as a running back. I really do. He's a strong running back. And he just he picks up yards. That's what he does. He played, let's see, he played 10 games last year. Six of those games he had over six yards a carry. That's fantastic. Next, I want to go back to the defense, and I want to talk about nose guard. That, to me, is a very interesting storyline. Into the spring, into the summer, into the fall, about that battle. I don't like Coach tell you about the depth right now at nose guard. Uso played an awful lot of football for us. You know, it's hard to it's hard to replace Eli Huggins and what he did for us. And obviously, D. Hens was really good. Uh, Damian Alalio is going to help us. You know, when you throw Damian into a a third and fourth goal situation, and he's able to to walk people back in a, in a Big Twelve championship game, gave him an awful lot of confidence. And then Javon Banks, uh, we were able to bring him in. I think Javon could be a guy that could be a swing guy that could be an end as well as a as a nose tackle. Yeah, so, I mean, K-State at the nose guard position, you know, had veterans the last couple of years. And there's no question about that. But now you move on to guys that have been playing down in the depth chart. Down in the depth chart, like Uso Sayamalu, who's a Juco transfer, Damian Eli Leo, who has been – at K-State since he was a freshman from Manhattan High. And then you have the transfer in Javon Banks, who played at Mississippi State, but was not the number one guy. Limited action. So you have three different stories that are all going to be fighting for the same starting job, but you're, you're going to see guys rotate. But I will say you have animals at that position. Hard workers. Guys that had limited action in their time but made the best of it. That's going to be really intriguing to me to see who actually – Gets the number one job out of that. Uso Samalu is a big guy, 6'3, over 300 pounds. Damian Eli Leo is a big guy. And by the way, Trayvon Banks can be scary when he's on the field as well. Let's wrap up with one more clip here, and that's about the competition at cornerback. Speaking of another position that has a very interesting storyline heading into the spring, summer, and fall, and that is replacing Julius Brintz and Echo Boydo. Jacob Paris, I think, is a terrific football player and uh, just is really going to come into his own. Keenan Garber, who um, came out of nowhere and played pretty well in the Big 12 Championship in the Sugar Bowl, uh, is now going to be a corner full-time, so I'm excited about him. Jordan Wright, who we were able to redshirt last year. Justice Clemens, we were able to redshirt last year. Darrell Jones had a vertical of 41-plus inches, and he's a he's a legit 4-4 kid that can really roll. Uh, and then Omar Daniels, who's played an awful lot of football for us. And so there you have it. I mean, the story just kind of writes itself there about the competition at corner. There's a number of guys that can play. There will obviously be a little bit more of a rotation than we saw the last year with Echo and Julius. Uh, Hard to replace those guys. There will be some young guys trying to take those spots, but a number of them do already have some uh, experience. Just building off that is now the next step. Let's take a break, and we're going to wrap up Hour 1 when we come back hearing from K-State. First-team all Big 12 players – 
Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel next. The song is called What a Fool Believes. I can I'm a fool for not be- remembering the title of that song. It's not my favorite Doobie Brothers song, but it's okay. I know um Sylvester Stallone is a big fan of that song. <laughs> he has been known to sing it on social media. Hold on, I got to sneeze. False alarm. I felt it building up, and I was like, oh, boy, right as we come back on air. All right, let's jump to uh, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, who had their own press conference uh, yesterday, right, Uh, with the K-State media. A lot of talk about, right, they're getting ready to go to Kansas City, and the all-Big 12 teams were just released, including their own coach, Drum Tang, being named Big 12 Coach of the Year. Here is Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel with the K-State media. Your coach doesn't talk about himself all that much, so I was wondering if you guys could just put into words why you think uh, he was, you know, the best coach to be focused. Um, he made a jump. I mean, we projected last in the conference. Um, could have finished out second if we won, but still finished out third. Uh, we beat big time teams. I mean, he had great plans, great, basically everything. Like his main focus for us is just to see us get better every day. It shows why he was the coach of the year. Um, his humility as a person is just. You know, second to none. Um, he cares about his players. He cares about, you know, everybody that he's working with and is not working with. Um, he's just a man of God. You know, he just, his purpose and his plan for us from day one was to see us grow as men and as basketball players. And, you know, we all believed in him from day one. So just just to see him get that award and just to see him get that recognition is pretty cool to see. Um, but I know he probably said we got bigger goals, bigger, you know, things ahead. So you guys know TCU so well. What areas most important when you play against them specifically? Uh, really transition, just limiting our turnovers. Um, the first time we lost, we had a lot of turnovers and they scored a lot of transition. So just try to come down, and get good shots, each possession, um, and then defensively, just limit it, some of their players. That sounds like game changer, is it? Kind of. The ones that have the crowd advantage in Kansas City. I don't think you're going to have it. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, uh, a tough environment. It's going to be like kind of home court advantage with us in Kansas, but it's still a neutral site, and we got to focus on, you know, one game and one day at a time. You can't, can't look too far ahead in this tournament, and you can't, you know, focus on the past or, you know, the accomplishments and the stuff that you did in the preseason. Now, uh, everybody's 0 0. And we all have, you know, a game to play in the Big 12. Marquise, I know you don't get a whole lot of rest during games now, but with, uh, you know, expanded media timeouts and stuff postseason. We get that? What's that? We get expanded media? Well, yeah, the media timeouts are longer. So well, that's good break, to know. You get a little bit more time. To okay. Chill. That's good to know. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, use that time. If, if Coach says, hey, we want you on the court 40 minutes, no exceptions, are you good with that? Good with that, man. Whatever it takes to win. Um, it's not really about me, it's about my teammates. If that requires us to win, then I'm comfortable with doing that. Um, I'm laid out, you know, all on the floor, each each possession, every game. So whatever it takes, man, to win a Big 12, you know, tournament, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, so what, what was the favorite honor you got yesterday? Probably, I mean, the newcomer of the year. Just Can you give him a clap? I'd probably say that just showing that I mean I made a big impact coming to the, a new conference. Um, a lot of people said it would be like a, a dumb decision for me to come here, just trying to rebuild and just to see like my work and the guys trusting me. I mean, if it won't be for them, I wouldn't be here. Um, Coach Tang, just want to thank them. 
for giving me the opportunity to showcase. Yeah, Tim, when you look back at the journey, your whole collegiate journey to getting to this point, Big 12 newcomer of the year, what emotions did that moment, were you feeling in that moment? Um, when I found out, I called my parents first. It was just, and talked to them, and my dad, he found, like he told me he was uh, happy, like he was proud of me, I mean, Usually always hard on me, so first time saying that, so we <laughs> cried a little bit. But and then my mom, she was just there. I mean, we've been through a lot, just then thinking basketball come back around. So for me to come back on my first year and get that, that was just a blessing, really. Keontae, was there a point during the season where you kind of felt like, okay, I'm all the way back now, or uh, is it still an ongoing process? I say it's still ongoing. I feel like I'm playing with like more confidence. Normally, just with my shooting, but I mean, probably the first two games of conference play, just I was seeing how physical it was, and then I was still doing what I was doing non-conference. I mean, I felt I felt good going to it. For me too, you you learned so much about uh, Coach Tang over the past season. Uh, I just want to know either on the court or off the court, what's something about Coach Tang that surprised you? I'd probably say for me was how he um, engaged with the fans, just trying to, uh, he was he did everything he could to make the gym packed out for us. And I mean, and honor for him, we showcased, we showed our skills and had fun out there and had more people come out there. So I never had a coach that did that really. And just seeing how much he cared for us to get that college experience where the best fan in the country, that was a big thing for me. Coach Tang has, you know, crazy faith, as he would call it, and, you know, all his players, and, you know, you don't see that, you know, often. Um, and for uh, for him to have that crazy faith in us um, just gives us confidence um, that we need to go out there and perform. Um, so, you know, it's just a blessing to have a coach like that, you know, um, coaching you, um, and, and you get to see him every day. I mean, we all learn something new from him whether that's on the court and off the court. And he's just, you know, one of the biggest blessings, you know, that, you know, I could have and K-State could have. Marquise, last year when you sent Coach Chang's name to Gene Taylor as a potential candidate for this job, did you ever imagine that was going to be the Big 12 Coach of the Year? Man, I've kind of felt like he had potential to be, um, but you never know how, you know, the cards will play out. But, you know, I'm not surprised at all that he won coach of the year because he's he's been, you know, a great coach from day one. I mean, just look at him at Baylor, you know, he still talks to his guys. He still talks to, you know, Scott Drew. Um, and he built those relationships and it's genuine. So I'm not impressed or like, you know, shell shocked that he won coach of the year because he's really, you know, a really good coach and a really good person. And that's Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson yesterday with the with the media. Speaking about Jerome Tang winning Big 12 Coach of the Year, nobody really asked. Uh, I, if I was there, I would have asked Marquise so well. Marquise, do you feel disrespected about Jalen Wilson not only getting Big 12 Player of the Year, but unanimous selection for Big 12 Player of the Year? Because you know on social media, he and his brother, I yeah, they felt pretty disrespected. And I get it. I, I, I was one of the loudest advocates for Marquise Noel to get player of the year in the Big 12, but I understand the Jalen Wilson argument. I suppose we can bring that up when we come back uh, on the game when we talk about the Big 12 player of the year, all Big 12 teams. But you know what? There was another piece of uh, accolade that came out for Marquise Noel 
earlier today. We'll get to that when we come back on the game.